Another Monday means another episode of the Think Deeper podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Wilkie, joined, as always, by Joe Wilkie, Will Harib. We are going to dip into the controversial end a little bit this week, but before we get to that, we're going to dip into another controversy and tell you about uh, the student loan forgiveness thing, the the questions are everywhere, the, the, the biblical precedent against or for it has been debated all over social media for days and days and days now. We wanted to kind of set the record straight on that, answer some questions. It's been compared to Christ's sacrifice and forgiveness of our sins. It's been compared to the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. Uh, It's just, there's a lot of opinions and ideas out there on it. And so uh, that's what we created our Think Fast series for, our YouTube videos. And so we have a YouTube video on that up on our YouTube channel. Uh, Just go to youtube.com slash focuspressinc, focuspressinc or uh, search Focus Press on YouTube. Check that out. Uh, We want to answer some of those questions. We want to look at this rightly. We want, uh, if you've listened at any time at all, uh, for for any length of time at all is what I'm trying to say, you know that we believe the Bible touches every area of our lives, and this is one of them. This is something that God has uh, shown us uh, a way, shown us what we should believe and and teach on a matter, and so uh, we decided to cut... uh, a video on that and so go check that out over on our youtube channel and uh, if there's nothing else i think will uh why don't you get us going on this week's episode so our topic for today that we want to get into has a lot of depth to it to to put it um bluntly this is a topic that we put a lot of research into it's one that has really been a uh, hot button issue uh, especially over the last two years uh, starting with 2020 we're talking today about critical race theory talking about the proponents of it talking about how uh, if, if at all, can it even fit in with a biblical worldview? Obviously, there's a lot of leading uh, evangelicals, you might say, in the evangelical community that are uh, big proponents of critical race theory, saying that we should uh, be adopting its precepts and doing everything that we can to to teach it. And, of course, it's being taught in schools. It's just a very uh, wide-ranging or far-reaching, I should say, topic that it, we really need to be discussing, and we really need to be educating ourselves within the church, uh, again, schools are educating young people on it, and again, it's our position, as you're going to find here shortly, that the when, when you really boil it down uh, to, to its, its tenets and, and what it's all about, it's very unbiblical, and so, of course, we're going to get into that, we're going to get into the details, we've got some definitions we want to get into, uh, so I'm going to kick it to Jack to start, but before we get to that point, we understand this can be in a, a very emotionally charged topic, uh, again, especially with over the last two years with the George Floyd murder in 2020, with the, the protests, the riots, everything that was going on, you know, you could just get on social media and see how emotionally charged of a topic this is. And so that's died down quite a bit. Again, we're, we're two years past that. You don't see quite the emotional response, but it is still something that gets people riled up. And so as always here on the Think Deeper podcast, that's never been anything that we shy away from. But we really do feel like that the tenets, when you really boil it down, the tenets of this critical race theory is something that is anti-biblical. And so before we get into all of that, we really have to define our terms. We have to define what we mean when we're talking about critical theory and also critical race theory. So Jack, take it away on on kind of the, the introduction to those two terms. Yeah, those are the big ones. And, and intersectionality as well as kind of goes along with that. And they go back, Joe's going to get us into some of the history, but the Frankfurt School, this was something that was developed. But it also, you hear a lot of times the criticism that it's it's rooted in Marxism. And that's actually true. 
the problem is a lot of Christians get mad when you say that, and because it's an attempt, purportedly on its face, to deal with oppression, to deal with unfairness, to deal with inequality, all of these things, and, and Christians see something bad like George Floyd happen, and think, well, we got to do something about this. And and this is where we have to be really careful, is when good sentiments are stirred up, Satan can use that to run it in the wrong direction. And so with critical theory, it's applying Marxism, which is all about power dynamics, right? Marx was very much about power, uh, capital uh, and that hierarchy in society and capitalists and, you know, that people kind of exploiting the worker class and, and putting the, the two against each other. And so it's the workers are going to rise up and they're going to rule and control the means of production and all the Marx angles, uh, you know, and what came out of Soviet Russia and, and all the things that followed uh, as a result of that ideology. And so critical theory takes that and applies it to social relationships. And so critical theory has its applications in feminism. You know, the male-female dynamic, the patriarchy has to be brought down and the, you know, the feminism has to rise up and, you know, this, this new order that we're going to have. Uh, you even see it, you know, among the ages of, of the young and, and, you know, trying to lower the voting age and all that because kids are kind of the oppressed class there. And there, in critical theory, there's always an oppressed and an oppressor, these dynamics in relationships that we're trying... I would say to level the playing field, but that's not really it. Of trying to flip the table, uh, you know, go from one to the other, and and those that are on the bottom put them on top, and so that's a a quick breakdown, an unscientific breakdown of critical theory. Critical race theory, of course, is taking that, applying it to race. Is you're going to have a, a dominant oppressor class race, and a you know the minorities that that suffer due to the, the privileges, the white privilege, of course, in this country that the majority in, enjoys. And so that has to be eliminated. And and, and so it, it views everything, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, as a zero-sum game. Good guys and bad guys, oppressors and oppressed. And and we, we can't work together. We can't find harmony together. A lot of the, the racial stuff that people could get on board with, the good stuff, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., we want to be judged by the... Uh, color of our or the content of our character rather than the color of our skin and, and a lot of people were on board with that it, that's not what it is anymore that, that those have gone totally separate directions to this this group of people is bad this group of people is not and and here's these inner these relationships have to be fixed according to these lines and we basically have to rearrange society so as to re-rank and and, and so yeah the the critical theory criti- i mean all of this goes back to very unbiblical ideas, uh, but again, there's a good motivation behind it that is why Christians get sucked into this, get tricked by it, is because, you know, you, you want people to be treated fairly. You want people uh, to be loved, to not be be trampled, and, and all those different things, and that's good, but you have to be very careful how you try to get there or, or what you do with that desire. So, I, again, I, I, that's kind of a a real quick overview of these things. Oh, I mentioned intersectionality as well. I was going to say, define that. Yeah, so intersectionality is where you start taking these different disciplines and kind of layering them over each other. And so you've got the oppressed oppressor, and and it's almost like a Venn diagram where you, you can say you're this, that, and the other thing. And so you almost have a ranking of the most oppressed. And so that's why you hear so much raging against white males or older white males. Oh, you're just a, you're just a white man. You And, and honestly, 
I guarantee there are people, you know, that that are on this side of things who are listening to it going, this is three white guys talking about this. So I can just dismiss anything that they say because they're white guys. Well, that's intersectionality uh, at play is when you say you're a white guy, you don't have anything to say because you're at the top of the oppressor hierarchy. And so you add, all right, if you're a minority race, you're one layer, you know, up or down on that, I guess I would say. Um, if you're a female rather than a male, that's, you know, another layer. If you are a, a sexual minority, trans or, or lesbian or gay, you're another one down. And so literally it would be a black or Hispanic uh, or Native American lesbian female would be like, you know, the the in a weird sense, the top ranking, the, in another the most sense, oppressed, the bottom ranking. Right? Yeah, the most oppressed, and so they deserve the most consideration. and The biggest and victims. This, yeah, the biggest victims. And so as we're trying to flip the whole scale and table that we've got to, like, shove them to the front of the line, and you might have seen this illustration where uh, teachers, uh, there was a video that went viral a while back where it was, they were going to have a race, you know, and, and here's the starting line, here's the finish line. Well, if if your parents were together, if you, you know, are white, if you are a male, if you're this, take a step forward, take a step forward. See, your race is easier than everybody else's, not, you know, race in the sense of running, that different definition of the word. Uh, look, you've got all this privilege that you've got a head start on everybody else and it's unfair. That's intersectionality applied. And so, those are the concepts on a, on a broad level. Joe, you're going to get us into some of how this has been applied and, and some of the quotes, the, the leading minds that have brought this about. Yeah, and I want to briefly speak to that, the idea that, you know, three white men. It frustrates me that you have to have certain things in order to be able to talk about it. This is We got into it with, with modesty, right? Well, you guys are men talking about this. This is a woman's issue, whatever it is. And so... It's the same thing as, well, how can you really talk to people who are alcoholics unless you've been an alcoholic type of thing? I saw a thing when another Christian organization was doing their roundtable on abortion, and they had a few women involved, and there were comments, I'm so glad you got women's voices as a part of this. Like, I get what you're saying, that they're the childbearing ones. If a woman says abortion's okay, or if she, you know, is adding nuance to this idea of killing babies— it doesn't matter that she's a woman. It's wrong. It doesn't change the uh, truth, know, it, right? Right, and and that's the issue with this is the the truth is the truth. Whether we're white guys, black women, Hispanic, whoever we have on here, the truth is the truth. Right, and that's what I wanted to hit just before we get into this is we are trying to get to the truth. Uh, we don't want to be judged by the color of our skin, and if you are, check your racism. That's all I'll say. If you're going to judge us based off the color of our skin and say whether we are, you know, we have less to say because we're white, that's racism. Congratulations, we've arrived, right? Like, that's where we're at in this society is a white man can't say anything because, well, he doesn't have the right to, which, in my opinion, you guys, I've, I've talked to you about this, that's Gnosticism. I have a lived experience, or I have experience, I have a knowledge that you can't begin to understand, therefore, I am better than you or I'm in a better position than you to speak on it. Look, man, we're just trying to get to the truth. That's all we're trying to do on this podcast. So in our attempt to do that, we did a lot of research. We're not shooting off the cuff here, just so everybody hears. There's, yes, we've done some episodes, some podcast episodes, probably not proud of. We threw it together last minute, you know, something we've talked about, sure, whatever. That was not the case with this one. We actually had this plan last week and we said, you know what? I don't think we've adequately studied it. I, I think, Jack, you told me, you're like, I don't think we're prepared for this. And so we pushed it back. Um, we've done a lot of research. With that, I say that to say, there are, I'm going to give you the, the main tenets or the, the main names and kind of brief history. Um, this is by no means comprehensive. 
There are so many pieces at play, people that are that are here. But here are the main things you're going to hear. Jack already referred to the Frankfurt School. This is actually on thoughtco.com. Um, they just broke it down. I'll read this. The Frankfurt School was a group of scholars known for developing critical theory and popularizing the dialectical method of learning by interrogating society's contradictions. So that's a lot. So let me read that again. The Frankfurt School is a group of scholars known for developing critical theory and popularizing the dialectical method of learning by interrogating society's contradictions. So we're, that's, that's what we're saying is there's a contradiction here. It is most closely associated with the work of Max Horkheimer, Theodore Adorno, Eric Fromm, and Herbert Marcuse. It was not a school in the physical sense, but rather a school of thought associated with scholars at the Institute for Social Research at the University of Frankfurt in Germany. This is what I want to get to right here. In 1923, Marxist scholar Karl Grunberg founded the Institute, initially financed by another scholar, Another such scholar, Felix Wheel. So Marxist scholars found this, uh, founded this school. The Frankfurt School of Classical Marxism updated to their, um, sorry, skipped a line. The Frankfurt, excuse me, the Frankfurt School scholars are known for their brand of culturally focused neo-Marxist theory, a rethinking of classical Marxism updated to their socio-historical period. This proved seminal for the fields of sociology, cultural studies, and media studies. And this was actually moved from Frankfurt to Columbia University in New York in 1935, thus making its way over to America. They have a lot of strong ties to Marxist Antonio Gramsci. So why did I, why did I bring that up? When you hear people say, oh, this has nothing to do with Marxism, which they will, they'll try to get away from you know how critical race theory has nothing to do with Marxism. Absolutely it does. It was founded in Marxism. Like the, the founders of this school of thought were Marxists or neo-Marxists at the time. A few so, other key... There's a, hold on, there's another side of that sure. people say is, so what if it is Marxist if it's talking about something that needs to be talked about, if it's handling an issue that needs to be handled? Uh, you know, like the, the Christians, maybe we need to listen to this. Maybe we need to just use this as a tool to help us understand. We're going to get to later on, when you look at the fruit of it, and when you look at what the Bible says versus the Marxist lens of diagnosing this, they're not the same thing. Right. And so... You know, the Bible has things to say about racism and prejudice and preferential treatment and all that. It does not handle it the same way, and therefore the outcomes are wildly different. And and so we're going to talk about that, but I, I, I want to anticipate that objection because I've heard it. And real quick, Joe, before you continue, we talked about this as well when we were talking about feminism, right? You know, toxic femininity, I think was what we called the episode. The idea that the the, the, the roots of feminism are based in, in what? Godlessness, right? And a, kind of an anti-biblical point of view. When you bring up Marxism, you bring up you know Freud, you bring up all these guys that are uh, that were just big proponents and, and and really the founders of this idea of of critical theory and critical race theory. Isn't it an, an important concept to understand that critical race theory's roots at its very base were founded by guys that were atheists, people that of course did not subscribe to the Bible or biblical Christianity. Again, that's an important point to bring up when you're talking about any social movement, feminism, critical race theory, whatever it is. If its roots and its base and its foundation were founded upon godless principles and, and guys who had didn't believe in God, didn't believe in, in the moral code of the Bible, that's a pretty big deal. And that's something that Christians, again, really need to educate themselves on and understand that, hey, before we subscribe to this, before we sign up to this ideology— Maybe we ought to consider the roots. Maybe we ought to consider the individuals that founded it. What was their belief system? Because that's what's driving this entire ideology. That's right. And even if, Jack, is, you know, like you said, we'll get to this, but even if there are points that are right, it's kind of, I heard one guy say, well, even a broken clock is right two times a day. 
so do we keep the broken clock because it's right in some ways? No, no, it's not right in all ways, and it's, this is anti-gospel, Will, so it's a fantastic point. But that's the basis, the foundation of critical race theory, critical theory, really, and critical race theory obviously is built on top. Um, so I'd encourage listeners, look up the Frankfurt School, see what you think. I did a lot of reading on it. Um, not, not fantastic. A few other key names you're going to want to know. Derek Bell is one of them. Uh, very much a, an originator of critical race theory. He was a, a lawyer, um, and he started this idea of interest convergence, which basically interest convergence is white people aren't going to get involved in helping African Americans, helping black people, um, until basically our interests converge, and it, and it benefits us, white people, in, in some way. Like, we are we don't care about helping the oppressed until it helps that's, us. That's one of the, the key components of critical race theory itself, isn't it, Joe? That's That interest convergence idea. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Exactly. So he had just a couple quotes from him just to kind of give you an idea. Um, Slavery is, as an example of what white America has done, a constant reminder of what white America might do, is is one of his quotes. Basically, because we we owned slaves in the past, that's what every white person is pretty much capable of and what we might go back to unless we start fighting for for their rights. And so what does that do? It takes the worst parts of our past and it puts it in front of us, meaning, which we will definitely get to, there's no way to atone for our sins. There's no way to to get past that. Um, it is forever there because we might turn them into slaves again. Uh, it, to me, that's just absolutely ridiculous. Yet another one. Black people are the magical faces at the bottom of society's well. Even the poorest whites, those who must live their lives only a few levels above, gain their self-esteem by gazing down on us. Surely they must know that their deliverance depends on letting down their ropes. Only by working together is escape possible. Over time, many reach out, but most simply watch, mesmerized into maintaining their unspoken commitment to keeping us where we are at whatever cost to them or to us. Here's another one. It appears that my worst fears have been realized. We have made progress in everything, yet nothing has changed. So they're constant victims. That's really his driving point is they're constant victims and whites aren't there to help. They're not ever going to pass down the rope um, to, to lift up the black person. I've seen this on, you know, talk about lived experiences. I've seen this happen. I've seen plenty of good-hearted white people trying to help out in whatever way we can, but it's never enough. It's never enough because we well, don't have every person on board. This claim that nothing has changed. We don't have slavery anymore. We don't have, I mean, like, if, if you tell a black man, hey, you're not allowed to sit and have lunch in this diner, it's you're going to have a problem. I mean, your career's over. I mean, like, right. and, and you shouldn't be able to do that. I'm not saying you should be able to get away with it, but this claim that nothing's changed, it's, it's, all, it's exactly how it always was. That's just a lie. It's not. Right. It, it, you and, know, I mean, like, people used to walk around just dropping racial slurs at whenever they wanted you can't do that anymore and so to say there's it hasn't been progress that's not true it's just not and and in a system that doesn't give anybody any credit that you're just as much of a devil as somebody you know who owned slaves it come on man and there's no context to anything that's the other part of of i'm not defending slavery in the least so please let this go on record there's no defense of slavery at the same time they also uphold 1860 standards with 2022 standards. Not the same. We were in a different political, uh, you know, social, like there were different things at play that they don't want to discuss and they want to take what happened in the past and move it to today and say, we're still there. Are you kidding me? There's no progress, but this is part of the victimization. Once again, we'll kind of get into this. This is part of the victimization that continues to happen time and again of we're constantly victims. It's like, guys, we are so far along from where we were that we're actually reversing. We went from segregated schools to we're not segregated, and now you're segregating based it's on— a, It's an overcorrection. 
is what it is. Right. We yeah. want black schools. No white kids are allowed. It's like, I'm sorry, wasn't this what we were trying to get away from in the 19, you know, 40s, right. 50s, 60s? Like, this is what the civil rights movement did. But that and goes back we've to the, the, the point of the Marxist origins of this is to flip things on its head. Right. The uh, power structure. We the, yeah, power structure. We want to be on top. Not, hey, let's all live together in peace and harmony and, and work in this society where anybody has an equal shot no it's not that anymore it's you know it well i mean it's orwellian some are more equal than others and right. and that's the thing we're going to have our segregated well, stuff a positive segregation we want this segregation rather than being told you're not allowed we're going to be the ones telling people you're not allowed right well that's a problem it's the idea of reparations right you hear that word thrown out quite a bit in, in these discussions of critical race theory it's not an it's not enough to to apologize, you know, they don't even want you to to just apologize for the history of white supremacy. No, you have to do more than that. You have to, again, make these reparations. There's talk of, hey, maybe we should count uh, a black person's vote twice. Again, it's not not an, not about being equal, as Jack has said. It's about flipping the tables. It's about making these reparations, and it's all built, as Joe, I'm sure you're getting to, on this idea that this regime of white supremacy exists in America. And that, that this regime of white supremacy has one purpose, and it's to what? Subordinate people of color. That's that's really what this whole thing is built around. And again, they don't leave any room for, you know, meeting in the middle, trying to, to, to find a common ground. It's basically, to, to put it bluntly, if you're a white person, you are a racist. You know, uh, y'all are going to bring up Robin D'Angelo. I'm sure that's pretty much what, what, what she puts forth in her book white fragility that is skyrocketed to the top of all the bestseller lists what's crazy is with her peggy mcintosh is another one she had her 1989 um, article white privilege unpacking the invisible knapsack this is huge for those that haven't heard look up unpacking the invisible knapsack um 50 points of white privilege it's it's these i'm sorry but it's these white women that feel guilty for everything that they've ever done and they try to push it on people and what they do with the white privilege is they're pushing white privilege to make the common white guy aware of his of white supremacy as though we are all basically neo-nazis you know and, and white supremacists and so if they can guilt us into seeing it through white privilege then we will recognize the power structures that be listen to this these are some of the so peggy mactosh is another name look up Derek bell We'll get into Abram Kendi in just a second. Robin D'Angelo is another one. Um, but this Peggy McIntosh one was really big. There were 50 points. I'm just going to read five of the points. This is number five on her list of 50 ways that we have white privilege. I can go shopping alone most of the time, pretty well assured that I will not be followed or harassed. Now, I go shopping a lot, and I see plenty of black folks shopping. That's fantastic. That's great. It's more capitalism. Hey, we're all, we're all kind of we're there for the same reasons. That's fantastic. Do you see a lot of this happening? I'm sorry, but do you see a lot of this happening where the black person is is being harassed in the white store? Are you kidding me? And you that's know not how to fast? say that it, it hasn't happened, but this idea of a nationwide issue, Correct. That, you know, that, yeah. To, as, as white privilege, because look, white people can be harassed in black parts of town as well. Is that is that part of black privilege or how does this work? Second, number six, I can turn on the television or open to the front page of the paper and see people of my race widely represented. African-Americans make up 13.6% of America. You're telling me that you turn on the TV and you hope to have the same representation as the people that take up 80% of America? You know, the white, white people make up 80%. You're telling me that you're going to have the same 
you know, represent, you're not going to, but that's part of white privilege. Uh, it's the same thing if I went over to China, and Jordan Peterson does a great job of talking about majority privilege, which I think we'll get to, but, um, you know, it's, it's the idea of if I went into China, would I expect to have a ton of white people on TV? Not really, because I'm the very small minority. Now for here, I'm not saying that we don't want representation, but to think that that's a part of white privilege is because I turn on the TV and see white people. What difference does it make? I watch, you know, there are shows, fantastic shows that are, look at, look at Family Matters, right? Like some of the classic TV shows, The Cosby Show, it's all African Americans, and it's fantastic. You know, you have these great shows growing up that's like, man, we all loved it, and it didn't matter who was on TV, but that's part of white privilege. Another one, 24. Number 24 on our list. I can be pretty sure that if I ask to talk to the person in charge, I will be facing a person of my race. That just sounds racist. Basically, there's no way an African-American is going to be the person in charge. Uh, come on. Which is not that's, true, That's racist. Right. It, exactly. That's not true. Um, number 41. I can be sure that if I need legal or medical help, my race will not work against me. Because, yes, we refuse people in our hospitals all the time based on race. Come on. This is in 1989. Um, number 46, I can choose blemish cover or bandages in flesh color and have them more or less match my skin. That so band-aids are now racist for those listening. Yeah. Band-aids are now racist because they don't make them in our skin color. And number 49, my children are given texts and classes which implicitly support our kind of family unit and do not turn them against my choice of domestic partnership. That's really where we're starting to hit it, right? That's basically if you uphold biblical standards or if you uphold the, the, um, typical understanding of family that's white privilege and that's racist i i just where how do we win right how do you win you as, don't. A, and with, it's as, not, as a white person with crt you don't that's the point right and that's the point is we shouldn't be in a winning thing but when you when you insert power structure power dynamics into this it becomes a win or lose principle it shouldn't be a win or lose we're all on the same team we're all humans going the same way but even in me saying it it's racist because i'm not recognizing race i'm not i'm not recognizing what they want me to well and that that speaks to another <clears throat> excuse me that speaks to another point uh with this whole crt thing is it's no longer enough to be you know to qualify yourself as oh well i'm 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 not i'm not a racist no it's not enough you now have to be anti-racist basically if you don't conform to the idea of to the full idea of critical race theory if you don't conform to everything that they're pushing you're not neutral you're against them and so, therefore, you are a racist. You're, you're the very, uh, you're, you're the oppressor now. You're the, even if you don't, even if you're, again, would qualify yourself as neutral or whatever, hey, I'm not a racist. If you don't fully subscribe to, to their arguments, if you don't fully subscribe to all the reparations they want to make and all these things, you're against them. You're the oppressor. You're a racist. That's how they're casting it. They say there's no such thing as non-racist. There's actually you're anti-racist or you're racist. So if you are not actively well, no. working against, I, no, I'll go further than that because I, I wrote a thing on uh, Robin D'Angelo's white fragility. As Will mentioned, it was that and um, Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist were the two breakout books of 2020 when when all the protests when everything broke out that you know everyone was reading and and I mean corporations were aligning themselves to have training along the lines of white fragility and. And, and these books, and, and I mean, she had speaking gigs. She was on, you know, the, the Tonight Show, you know, the, the, the talk show speaking circuit. And I, I think that was the best introduction. Unfortunately, they've taken the video down, but it was like a five to ten minute video of Jimmy Fallon asking Robin D'Angelo, who are you? What is it that, you know, you've got out there? And it was mind-blowing. She, uh, so I'll read the quote and then just kind of paraphrase some of the rest. 
She said, I think white people, uh, Fallon, you know, said, uh, we don't want to be racist. How can, how can we be not racist? How can we, you know, be able to say that we're not racist? She said, I think white people should remove that phrase from their vocabulary. I'm not racist. When I'm talking about the racism that I have, that you have, it's the result of living in a society in which racism is the foundation. We all absorb it. We all absorb it, and there's no exempting ourselves from it. And then she went on to say that white people should stop trying to decide if you're racist or not because you are. You're inherently uh, you're, racist. You're right? all racist. And then, you know, she tries to offer that there there's a different definition of it, uh, you know, that it's uh, essentially, you know, that you, your preferences or you're, you're unaware of, of your privilege and things like that. But you're a racist. I'm a racist. Will's a racist. Joe's a, you know, like this is craziness, number one. But number two, that is the trap of her book. And that's the thing so many of these things set up is it's a trap you can't get out of. It's she, you know, she would ask you the question, "Are you a racist?" And she she talks about this how she would, you know, put it to rooms of people and say, "You guys are racist," and some of them would say, "Yes, yes, I am. I, I have internalized privilege and these things that you know that that I don't realize these subconscious biases." Da, 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 da. And so, yes, I am a racist. All right, well, those people are racist. The rest of the room would say, "No, I'm not. I I don't mistreat anybody. I don't treat anybody differently. I'm." I'm not a racist, and she would say, "Yes, you are," and that exposes your fragility. Your white fragility that you can't right. hear this. So you're a racist, and you're a fragile white. You can't win. There is no world in which you can say, "I'm not a racist." And we'll get to the gospel implications of that. That's very bad. But the other is there's this this constant line of traps in which you can't get out of it. So the Black Lives Matter thing. Well, will you say Black Lives Matter? Will you post Black Lives Matter on your profile? It's asking the entire country, have you stopped beating your wife? Yeah. You know, it's that, that classic question, hey, have you stopped beating your wife? Well, if, you know, are you willing to say that black lives matter? Because you're, you're essentially implying that, well, most of you think that they don't. And until you say that, I'm not going to believe that you do. Man, that is, this is, again, it's just trap after trap after trap into which, you, as you said, you can't win. You're, you're automatically a racist. You're automatically a bad person. You're automatically... Again, bringing it all back to where we started, an oppressor. Right, and this is what's, and I've already kind of summed this up, but this is what's so important for Christians to understand, especially those who, again, want to subscribe to, to some of these components of CRT. The, the the fascinating thing about it is that critical race theory has kind of this built-in, call it a mechanism, whatever you want, this built-in mechanism that completely avoids any kind of analysis, any kind of criticisms. Again, it, it's called critical race theory. But it's built in, it, it has its own built-in mechanism to avoid any kind of critiques in and of itself. Because, again, if you do, if you try to, to analyze objectively CRT, if you try to, to critique it, if you try to, to criticize it, in their eyes, that is turning you into part of the power structure that is oppressing you. So, again, it's this built-in idea of you can't win because if you criticize us and if you criticize our, uh, our, our the things that we believe, if you criticize these reparations, whatever, well, that automatically makes you part of the problem. That automatically makes you something—it it puts itself beyond the reach of criticism. Right. I thought this was actually pretty funny. So I get on Black Lives Matter website trying to find—they used to have a lot more, like, Marxist stuff on there, and I think they've kind of backed off of some of that on their site because I, I scanned a lot of it. So if somebody sees it send, it, uh, send it to us. But one of the quotes on here—this is hilarious— they were criticized for all of their shady dealings of like they're, you know, the top people in the um, nonprofit. It's supposedly a nonprofit making like a million plus dollars. I mean, they were buying each other houses, things like that with 
the money from, you know, people that, that had obviously donated to the Black Lives Matter movement. This is what's hilarious. This is how they get out of these criticisms. This is on their website. The misinformation from the right wing about our finances is very much about what happens when black people are financially autonomous from white supremacist structures like the nonprofit industrial complex. There is a long-standing legacy of mistrust and doubt about how black people spend their money, like Ronald Reagan's welfare queen moniker, a racist trope he peddled to gain the power of the presidency. First off, I looked that up, the which I'm sure many of our listeners probably remember, um, with the welfare queen. I don't think he mentions race once. They make it racist. They turn it. He must have been talking about black people. Um, I'm sorry. Where do you see that? That seems racist that you would read into it. But this is them rising above saying, you challenged our finances. You challenged the, the, you know, misallocations of funds, basically. Well, that's racist. That's you pushing the white supremacist power structure, the non, what do they call it? The, the nonprofit industrial complex. Are you kidding me? But this is what they do. As soon as you say, hey, whoa, whoa, that doesn't make sense. They go, you're racist for pointing it out. There's a war on noticing is what a lot of people say. And, and I think that's very much at play here. There's a war on noticing these things because when you point it out, they only turn it into you must be even more racist for how dare you question us. But Jack mentioned this is interesting. I want to read this then I want to I'll, I'll get away from some of the big names. The last one that he mentioned was Ibram X. Kendi, I-B-R-A-M, and then Kendi is K-E-N-D-I, um, Probably one of the biggest names. I think him and Robin D'Angelo are probably the two biggest names currently going for this. Uh, he says, there's no such thing as not racist. If you are actively challenging racism, congratulations, you are being an anti-racist. But if you're doing nothing while trying to claim some kind of neutral territory between racist and anti-racist, you are complicit in allowing the structural problems uh, problem to persist. To do nothing in a society of injustice is to uphold racism. To do nothing in the face of racism is to be racist. Well, who gets to decide what's racist? We certainly don't. So anything they say going forward is that's racist. If you are not actively working against it, then you are a racist. How convenient that they get to decide what racism is and then they get to beat you over the head when you are not complying with what that racism is. So if you don't, I mean, what if they say in the future, like, hey, if you don't give me this home loan at a 2% rate, you're being racist. They get to well, decide, right? Yeah. They get to decide. And if you are not pushing that, then you must be a racist. And right now, racism is, is, is probably the biggest sin in society today. If you are a racist, if you were even claimed called a racist, if you tweeted something 13 years ago, right. That's what I was you know, bring up. Then think about what people, you're a racist and everything's destroyed. Think about what ruins people's careers now. You know, uh, sports broadcasters are, again, you know, you brought up tweets. People are, are looking up guys that are coming out of sports drafts from tweets when they were in their teens looking for racial slurs, looking for, you know, the N-word. And again, you got these sports broadcasters that one little slip up, they're gone. It really is the 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 pet sin that, that people really want to just target these days because nothing could possibly be worse than being a racist is, is what this idea puts forth. And what you have to do is get your kids out of the schools, as we've talked about before, because they're very much pushing this in the public schools. Two more quotes. From Kendi, this is in one of his articles on The Guardian that he wrote, and then I'll, I'll pass along from here. But he says, White children need protection from all the verbal and nonverbal messages in our society telling them, uh, telling them they are special, not simply because they are individual, unique, and precious humans, but because they are white. Then he goes on to say, Children of color must be protected from all those verbal and nonverbal messages telling them they are not special because they are not white. So what does that mean? 
Black children are special. White children aren't. That's essentially what you're saying. And he can he can try to get out of it, but that's what he's saying is all these nonverbal and verbal messages saying that black children aren't special need to stop. All of these verbal and nonverbal messages saying white children are special need to stop. We flipped the power structure. This is what they're pushing in schools through all their books and through through all of their I mean there are there are videos online you can find this Christopher Rufo R U F O um, has done a lot of work on this even lives a TikTok hits on some of these things. They had Christopher Rufo had a video where they asked this elementary school teacher what what year was America founded. She literally could not say 1776. She did not know. But he said, so, so what do you teach? I, oh, I don't teach the curriculum. I'm teaching kids about how to be an anti-racist. I'm teaching kids about um, Black Lives Matter and, and those movements. And so you have an elementary school teacher who is admitting she doesn't know when America was founded, but she's going against the curriculum and teaching critical race theory. Like, this happens all the time. This is not a, a one-off. This happens all the time. And we have to be prepared and aware, aware of it first and prepared to handle it. And the best way to be prepared to handle it is get your kids out of the schools. All right, so we've done kind of the legwork, and we, we just put a lot up there because we wanted to, again, let them speak in their own words. Uh, again, D'Angelo, that you are a racist. Derek Bell, that, you know, society is just packed with these things and, uh, you know, the knapsack of, of white privilege and, and all of these things that we supposedly have. Before we get to kind of our, our breakdown, we've, we've gotten into some of it here, but before we get to... Uh, all of that. I want to, as we always say, we, don't, we need to steel man it because you've got a lot of Christians who are buying into this, who are pushing this narrative, who are, are going along with it and saying, you know what, calling it Marxist, calling it critical race theory, that's uh, that's just a dodge. Jesus wanted us to stand up for the oppressed. You know, Proverbs 31 says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate, that, that it's Christians' jobs to do this, that Israel in the minor prophets was judged for oppressing and for... Um, for pushing back, Jesus said in Luke 4 that he came to free the oppressed, and so this is something that Christians need to be a part of. I fully believe, yes, we need to be uh, involved in, in, if there's something we can do for somebody who's oppressed, then we need to do it. And so when you look at slavery, Christians fighting against slavery, that's a good thing. Christians fighting against segregation, that's a good thing. When you talk about where we are today, and I, you know, the people always push it like there's two extremes. Oh, so you're just saying racism doesn't happen? That's not true. I personally have an experience where a, a church that I tried out for had had a man try out the week before me, and you send in a resume, they don't know you, they bring you in, he comes in, he's a black man married to a white woman, and it caused an issue, and somebody got up and walked out of the church building over it, okay? Wow. And so when I, yeah, it's horrible. The thing about it is the guy who did that didn't come back to the church for for months. He he came back, uh, you know, after I it, it actually started preaching there. Later on, apologized for it. Said, you know what, I everything I I I did not that, that was not okay. What I did, uh, you know, he he understood the wrongness of it. Turned out to be one of my favorite people on the entire planet. So you know, we've got this thing of if you're racist, you're just cancelable. Nobody should ever talk to you ever again. No. People, I mean, he's a, he's an older man. He's, he's quite a bit older. And so he comes from an era where that was more acceptable, and it's bad that we had an era like that. And so when we talk about standing up for the oppressed and and, and all of these things, it is saying, hey, that's that's not okay. You can't treat people like that. You can't, you know, uh, be against mixed marriages. You can't walk out when a black preacher gets up to speak. I, I mean, like, that absolutely is real. When we're talking about all these things in society, though, you've got to understand the play being run. And we talked about this. This is an episode that I'm sure m more people might listen to this one than this one I'm about to reference because the hot topic of critical race theory. 
I really recommend go back and listen. Uh, what did we title it? How progressivism trek, uh, tricks uh, honest, honest Christians, Christians yep. or yeah. And so it's Christians who want to do the right thing, and progressivism comes in and plays on your desires of that, and how they weaponize love your neighbor. They weaponize your compassion. I want to do good. I want to help people. And they take advantage of that to use it against you to get you to do something you shouldn't or believe something you shouldn't. And so that is what's going on with this of you've got to align with these Marxist people who are subverting, again, that BLM page Joe was talking about where they're talking about, we got to dismantle the nuclear family. We've got to dismantle the patriarchy and we've got to support mothers and their children, but they didn't say fathers. Uh, I mean, all of these things, this is, this is who these people are. And you can't just ally with these people blindly and say, well, they've got, got some points about oppression. Cause one of the other things is when we talk about oppression, yeah, some of those racial things happen. That's bad. I, I just gave a, a an example that I've seen in my own life. And so we're not denying that it happens. And when it does, we should say that's wrong. But this idea that it is a widespread rampant thing, and, and there's two claims. One, that is America is a deeply racist country and still is as much as it ever was the Derek bell quote we talked about that it, it hasn't gotten better and that the church is a deeply racist institution it's not true it's just not i go to church you know in, in a congregation of uh you know of multiple races every single sunday we fellowship together we're in each other's homes we hang out together there's just not this racism there. And and some the idea that we would let somebody like Robin D'Angelo come in and tell us and, and tell the black Christians, hey, those those white Christians over there, they're racist. And hey, white Christians, if you don't kneel down and apologize for what people, you know, who aren't you did, then then you're in the wrong. And so but this this compassion that Christians get. And so yes, the Bible talks about standing up for the oppressed. The other thing about it is we've got to be more discerning about what oppression is. Because when you talk about, you know, as as Will said, if, if somebody tweeted a racial slur, they're canceled. Their career is it may be over. They shouldn't have tweeted the racial slur. They should get in trouble for it. But, I, you know, I think we go too far in this vindictiveness sometimes. But how racist can a country be where the worst thing that you can do is use a racial slur? How racist can a country be where people can openly advocate for... Uh, reparations and say, you know, you got to give us money back. You got to take care of us. You got to do this. How really how raised because you, let's run it through another filter. 1930s Germany, when Hitler is, is demonizing and vilifying the Jewish people. If the Jewish people started writing op-eds in the newspaper and getting out and, and putting stuff over the radio saying, you guys, you know, you need to apologize to us. You need to pay us reparations. You need to, how far would that have gone? In a truly racist country, that would not, I mean, would not have been allowed to stand whatsoever. And in this country where, where they can get on the megaphone, I mean, let's be real here. The riots, they burned down large portions of American uh, cities. How, I mean, there were estimates of how many billions of dollars were damaged. Nobody went to jail over it. In a racist country, in, in a country that really is as deeply white supremacist, they would have been out there shooting them down in the streets if we really had the deep racism problem that they say that we do. But they say we do shoot them down in the streets with, with but cop violence. But I'm talking about the protests themselves. Right. You right. know, and, and with the police shootings, I mean, that with some of these things, it's like you look at it and it's like, that's bad. That's wrong. George Floyd shouldn't have been killed. You know, it, and you can go to, well, he shouldn't have used a counterfeit. Yeah, he shouldn't have. And yeah, you know, he used the drugs. I mean, there was there's a lot more to it, but still, they shouldn't have done what they did. Right. And it was wrong. But uh, this narrative of every single time it was, you know, just a, a, a racially motivated murder. We don't even know if it was racially motivated because there was a white guy in Dallas who was killed the exact same way. And nobody knows his name. It was Tony Timpa was killed the exact same way. And there weren't any protests over that. 
nobody called it a racial killing because and so you you assume a motive because of this worldview that you're seeing everything through and then you end up with this interpretation of the world and then Christians have to get on board with that they think because I'm being compassionate rather than saying well hold up let's ask some questions first that's such a a key point in this discussion uh, and when I was doing some uh, some research for this episode I came across that idea uh, this is not a direct quote, but th- the idea that only in a country like America can CRT, can critical race theory, actually flourish. And, and the example that I'll give is is one that was very familiar to, um, or should be very familiar to all of our listeners back in 2016, when a gentleman by the name of Colin Kaepernick dominated the news cycle for, what, 18 months, it felt like, because he made the decision to kneel for the national anthem, and his, his belief was that he was... Um, protesting racial injustice and police brutality against people of color. That was kind of his stance. Well, if America was truly systemically racist, why then did he get a a Nike endorsement deal several months later? Why was he, again, kind of held up and glorified? Again, he was the talking point for 18 months. You still got people arguing that Colin Kaepernick should should be in the league. He's been out of the league for for six years. If America was truly a, a systemically racist country... How far do you think he would have gotten? What do you think he would have gotten any Nike endorsement deals? But again, it's, it's such a, a a key point that they, they're decrying the systemic racism, the systemic injustice in a country that is is as far from it as you can possibly imagine. But again, I come out and say that Jack and Joe comes out and says that or says that. What are we? We're part of the problem. Racist. We're racist. We're the oppressors. I often say that people should travel the world. People who really believe this need to travel the world. I've been fortunate enough to travel to a few different places. I traveled to Ghana, West Africa. Um, You're just privileged, t- Joe. That's the only reason you got to travel. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm I'm very privileged. I very am much, or I'm I'm very privileged, and I appreciate that. Here's what I learned: You go over there. They had a major problem with warring tribes over in Ghana to the point that we are at a a preaching school. I was teaching a preaching school over there, and like there were people that would not sit next to each other and didn't even want to be in the same room. They had to be pulled pulled aside by the president of the school over there and have a serious talking to If You are Christian brothers. You have to get along. They hated each other. And you say, well, they're, they're all black over there. It's not a, you know, color of the skin thing, but it's the facial scarring. You're coming from this tribe. You're coming from that tribe. And they would war. I mean, you have tribes that are still beating each other with clubs over there due to race, due to, you know, which, and you could say not race. I mean, they're all, they're all, Africans, but due to whatever tribe you came from. If you go over to China, been over to China, Hong Kong, those in Hong Kong and those in China do not get along. They don't like each other because they are different. You can tell that, that you know, there are different ways that they live their lives. Obviously, Hong Kong was more of a um, democratic and, and capitalistic society for a long time. But based on where you're from, Japanese and, and, and the Chinese, like the different... Um, Asian uh, descents, basically, where you come from, North Korea, South Korea, all of those, Taiwan, they can be extremely racist over there. I'm not racist for calling it out. Look this up. This is actually a very real thing. So when you want to talk about, like, racism in other countries, we are, and they even have this in in Mexico. I know people that, that came from Mexico, and based on what region you came from, whether a poor or rich region, they were very racist against you, and they did not like you. Racism you couldn't is, put them on the same work crew. I mean, we correct. worked with some of these guys, and, like, it was, okay, you're from here, you're from here. They're not going to work together. Yeah, they hated each other. 
we are one of the least racist countries on the planet, okay? On the planet. I've traveled to several countries. We're one of the least racist I've ever seen and that most people have ever seen. What I would challenge people is if you really think America's racist, go travel the world. See how they treat other people, even of their own descent, like of, of their own race. Well, the same thing with, the, with the men and women thing. You think females are oppressed here? How about you go try and live in a Muslim country? You know, see, right, see go to Saudi how, Arabia. Right, right. Exactly. Right, like the, the U.S. women's soccer team and always talking about how oppressed they are and all that, like... You're traveling the world playing soccer, getting paid pretty good money for it. In fact, you can protest and, and riot and scream, you know, like just push back and, and throw a fit over we're not paid as much as the men, even though the Men's World Cup is the biggest sporting event in the world and all that. And, and you're catered to. Like, you know, even the men will be like, no, we got to pay them more. And, and so it just, would that happen in a sexist country? Would it happen in a racist country? But I want to, like, use critical race theory against itself uh, like let's let's test its claims because it claims that if there are any inequalities in racial representation then uh then systemic racism is in place okay and so if there's anything that that there's more uh you know of, uh, the percentages don't line up and don't reflect the population of, of how it should be then there's systemic racism you know there's been all these white presidents but one black president that's systemic racism there's been you know just whatever example you want to drop in okay the national basketball association is what 80 percent african-american uh, or more. I mean, how many you know white American guys playing it? Is it because of systemic racism? No, it's because they're better at it. It's right. because you know it's a meritocracy. You earn your way there, and so that just it falls on its face. And I know, I really, that's where these things kind of start to come to its head. Is it only works one way? It only works in a way of if if there's more white people than black people, then that's how it is. Um, you know, and they do that with, with the NFL coaches or whatever else. I'm using sports analogies, but this is across all of society is to say if there's inequality in representation, then systemic racism is in place. If that's a if that's a rule, that's a universal rule, and, and it's not in things like this. So that's number one. It fails on its face. Number two, if this is a white supremacist country, and they say it was built on white supremacy, the 1619 Project, this whole thing is on white people trampling over people of color to put ourselves first and get to the top of the heap. Do white people make the most money per capita in America? No, not even close. Japanese Americans, Indian Americans, you look at the CEOs of, of most of the major companies at this point are Indian Americans. We're really bad at white supremacy if we let that happen, right? I mean, if this, and so like you just start testing the claims against itself. There's one other I want to talk about is the the police shooting narrative, right? I mean, again, in 2000, it had people out in the streets protesting, it had riots, it had, you know, and, and it wasn't just George Floyd. You had Breonna Taylor, you had uh, Ahmaud Arbery, which wasn't even a police, but it was, you know, a vigilante justice kind of thing. And and all of these shootings, and, and it fomented and that so so much hatred, and, uh, you know, that, that they were protesting against, and, and that they were, there was so much anger coming out into the streets. It's been two years. I can't remember a name since those in the headlines. There might have been one or two shootings, but nothing that has boiled over. Nothing that sent people out into the streets. Nothing, uh, what was the guy in Milwaukee? Jacob, Jacob Blake. Blake. I mean, yeah. these are all names that people know of from 2000. And and people were, again, out there protesting, rioting over. So in two years, we haven't had that. There's only a few explanations. One is that all the protesting and defund the police movements and all that stuff solved the systemic racism. And if so, you should be championing that victory, you know, just crowing from the rooftops. Look, we did it. You know what? Look what our, our protests accomplished. 
Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that we solved it. And so maybe it's not that. What happened? Why are so? If the problem still exists, why are the shootings not being trumpeted out there everywhere? Why are we not having these headlines? Why do we not have these household names? Why are people not continuing to protest and and riot and do all the things that they did? And the social media hashtags say their name. Why not? What happened in the last two years? What I'm getting at, my interpretation is door number three, which is. We care about what we're told to care about. We have these carefully constructed narratives, and especially one with, uh, you know, Jacob Blake. The man uh, was, uh, what was he? He was uh, uh, violating a restraining order that his girlfriend had against him. Uh, He was over there. I think sexual assault was uh, the the issue that he had. He would not stay away from her. She calls the police. The police come, you know, to deal with the thing. He goes to grab a knife, and they, they shoot him, and, and he's this victim. And NBA players are wearing his name on they the back. They, they and, stopped and, and, the but, league because of that shooting. Yeah, they, they all said, we're not playing tonight because of, of this violent man who was terrorizing this woman and her family. And, and yet they're all put on the same level. And that's a point I've made for years is if you interpret every one of these the exact same way, Either, one way or the other, you're dishonest. If your interpretation is every single time they probably deserved it, the police were probably in the right, you're probably not being very honest with yourself. If your interpretation is every time the racist police went out and killed another one of us because that's just what they want to do is go out and murder us in the streets, you're not paying attention either. There's a lot of nuance on these. There's things where the police are clearly in the wrong when you look at the details. There's ones where you look at it and it's like they didn't have a choice. And, and so now you see the violence going up in inner cities and things haven't gotten better. But again, nobody's out protesting and rioting these shootings and these killings anymore. Why not? The narrative, again, starts to fall apart. And you realize how carefully crafted it is to foment anger, to foment division. And, and that's, I think, where we really want to go with this is, is multiple angles of the results. We want to talk about what churches should do about this. We want to talk about why this is anti-gospel, why it does not line up with what the Bible has to say. But I want to start here, because this is a big one to me. You will know them by their fruits. And this is something, especially in this day and age, that Christians need to get a lot better at, is analyzing fruits. And when the fruits of a movement are, as Joe brought up earlier, they're bringing back segregation. They're bringing back, hey, we're going to keep people of color over here and white people over here. Even if it's a celebrated segregation, even if it's a voluntary segregation, it's not a good thing. It's not a positive thing. That's we one saw of the this, fruits. Of, go ahead. We saw this during the riots, and I think it was what Chaz or whatever up in Seattle, where they were not allowing white people to to come into that sector or that quadrant right, or whatever it was. Yeah, they weren't uh, part of the council, the leadership. You know, like right. We just saw this like a week ago. Columbia University just established things where white people. I don't want to get this wrong, but basically, where white people are not allowed. Uh, certain places on campus, and you have to check in, even in their chat groups, you have to check in to say if you're white, and they will moderate that. Like, this is happening all over the place, so if if you don't think that's happening, which I think most of our listeners probably see this, but if you don't, please check the news. Like, right. so the segregation is very real. The segregation, discrimination, where these hiring practices, you have to hire, you know, uh, the, the NFL even has the, the, or they had, I don't know if they still do, the, the Rooney, Rooney rule, rule, where you yeah. have to interview a a coach who's a a person of color, a minority, before you can hire a coach. And so what they would do is they would choose the coach they wanted to hire, and then they'd have to call in one of, you know, a black coach uh, or whoever and, 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 like, pretend interview them to say, okay, we did it. That's that's insulting, right? but that's done in the name of equality and bringing this up. And so that's one of the fruits of, of this is discrimination, discriminatory practices. You've got to 
you know, give scholarships. And, and there's a, a lawsuit going to the Supreme Court right now over this about Harvard, where Harvard is doling out scholarships, not on scores anymore, but on filling certain racial numbers and denying people, you know, higher achievers and, and the opposite of the Martin Luther King content of your character thing. It's not a meritocracy. It's Jack, on these grounds. So that's discrimination. Jack, you sent us the, the article earlier in the week about the high school in Chicago that was introducing this idea of a race-based grading system, that if you were a certain race, yeah. you were going to be graded on a different, easier level than if you were white. How and racist why is that? Is that? Not, number one, it's racist. Number two, why are not black people the most vocal against this? Right. It's right. Saying, Come on, man. Yeah. We can do this. Yeah, this is not this is not right. And so there's that side of it. Uh, Minneapolis, I think it was, said that you know they're going to have to do some teacher layoffs, but they're going to make sure that if they do, it's only going to be white teachers who get fired or lose their job. They're not doing it on tenure. They're not doing on any grading scale on on who's a better teacher, who's not. It's white teachers are coming off first. So we don't have to lay off any. That's discrimination. So we brought back segregation. We brought back discrimination. Uh, we've uh, we're bringing back racism in itself with all these things. We're bringing back or bringing in uh, division in the sense of the microaggression thing, right? You're just constantly yeah, looking nice. to be slighted. Well, they, you know, they said my hair is nice, and I mean, there you look up microaggressions and all the things that that white people do or say. You know, what does First Corinthians thirteen tell us? Love, you know, bears all things. Love puts up with a lot. And you know what? The Bible also tells us if you've got a problem with the way someone's talking to you. You don't roll your eyes and go, oh, it's another white person with their microaggressions. With their privilege. You go, you know, because, I mean, they're, they're offensive things people say. Sometimes meaningfully, like they mean to. Sometimes they didn't. Accidentally. They just didn't know. I mean, I, I saw one of, uh, a couple of my elders had that, uh, that discussion. One of them is black, one of them is white. And the black one went, brother, please stop using that word. It's not a racial slur. It's just a word that has historical connotations. It's, please stop. That, that. Can you use a different word? And he said, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I just didn't even realize. Okay, that's how you that's do how it. That's how it's done. It's, 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 it's literally done. that simple. Rather than all of these things of, oh, microaggressions, oh, you know, just the offensiveness of white people. You can't have this. And so, again, the kind of the broader, and I'm going to get to one last one before I, I kind of pass the mic back over. Segregation, discrimination, taking offense at everything, division. And the big one is... You, you look at the French Revolution. Uh, somebody, uh, a couple of us had listened to in uh, preparation for this, made this point. French Revolution was uh, fraternity, equality, and liberty, right? That, man, we're, gonna, we're all going to come together as brothers. We're going to be free. We're going to all be equal. And it, Well, we know how the French Re Revolution turned out. A lot of people died. A lot of people starved to death. A lot of really bad things happened. What do we have? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those are, I mean, corporations are DEI. They're graded on DEI. They have their DEI programs, diversity, equity, inclusion. It's the same thing. Fraternity, equality. I'm, I'm doing the wrong, the, the, the language. I'm not transliterating. Yes. It's the same thing. And it's going to end up in the same place of people hating each other, people killing each other. Uh, it's not a good thing. And, and so you, you judge things by their fruits. The fruits are not good. I want to bring up a point real quick, and Joe, then I'll pass it to you, uh, about this idea of they're painting everybody to be seen in a, as a certain way, and then they see everything through the lens of race. A guy I listened to called it, they see everything through race-colored glasses, right, rather than you know rose-colored glasses. When are we going to start standing up and preaching James 2? preaching about the sin of partiality, which the you think about critical race theory, you think about all these ideas that are in direct violation of James 2. 
talking about the sin of partiality. You go there, and he's talking about the idea that, hey, you see a rich guy coming in. You give him the special treatment because he's rich, and you you know kind of shove the poor guy to the side. So he's talking about it in terms of wealth. But does that not certainly apply when we're talking about race here and the idea that, hey, we're going to give the, the be- better job or the, the, the more opportunities to the black people because they're because of affirmative action, or we're going to fire the, the white teachers. That's all basing it on partiality. That's all basing on Google Maps. You can search businesses by black owned business. Yeah, right. I'm because tell, I'm going to I'm just going to say this to Christians right now. If you do that and if if you go looking for black owned businesses and say I'm going to give my money, you know, to, I'm going to make sure that I'm supporting black owned businesses, you're sinning and you need to repent. Yeah. yeah. That's just not okay. I I, I would it, it's repugnant of me to think, "All right, where are the white people? I'm not going to shop at a, a store unless a white person owns but it." But they act like that's what we do, and that's what frustrates me is, "Oh, all these racist white people. Do you know one white person who does that?" Who refuses? Yeah, who says, I'm only shopping where a white person right, runs the who store. Who refuses yeah. to go to a a black there, owned business if it's right next to hundred thousand? You know, at best. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they're out there. Right. I'm sure they're out there. But once again, this is not being pushed. I think we're seeing racism way more from the other side right now. Look, I've had black people refuse to shake my hand because of the color of my skin. It's happened. That is a major but again, aggression. We, it, but I don't. I'm not the victim here. I'm not right, looking at you're it. You're not saying, allowed you know, to call they, that out, though. That's again the whole right. point in this discussion. But I'm not also looking to be majorly offended and to use it for a social structure. Sure. I'm looking at it and saying, hey, maybe they've had some problems with white people in the past. It doesn't justify it. It doesn't justify. But you know what? I'm going to choose to look past it. It's not that big a deal, and she may change. And that's the point here is for those whites who are racist, Jack, you already pointed this out. What would be the best way to get them to change? By shaming them, pointing out their racism, pointing out every single time that they, they even breathe something that could be considered that way, and, and making them guilty at all times, or saying, brother, th- I don't think that's right. You know, that's please, please stop doing What's that. What's that guy named Daryl? I don't remember his last name. He's a black guy who befriends Klan members. Yeah. And oh, he's man, so that's nice so to them that he, like, he has a collection of Klan robes and hoods that he's had them turn in. To say, okay, we're giving this up. We can't, we can't go on with this anymore because we've shown you love. That's the way of the gospel. Is, How cool is that? You know, the love and and the care and and going across those barriers and and this cancel culture thing. But that'll get well, into our well, gospel point. I want to save that for a minute because Will's got something else. Yeah, on. sorry. sorry and this might actually get into the gospel point as well. But you also hear all the time these, you know, these church leaders and 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 people get up and say, hey, we need to have more diverse congregations, right? We need to we need to have more black people and more, you know, Latino or whatever. I get the the gesture behind that is the idea of again kind of we we want to be anti-racist but think about how you again you're falling victim to this sin of partiality why does how, why can't the message be hey let's just grow our congregation let's go baptize and, and convert people and forget about what color their skin is how many this is how many black churches have white ministers right legitimately I'd love to know. I'm guessing probably less than 10%. I don't know that I've ever seen it, but how many predominant black churches have white ministers? It does not happen. Is that racist? Like, if we're going to call it out, is that racist? And what this is going to sound like is for people listening, oh, you got three white guys who were just, you know, talking about basically how racist everybody else is. Look, we're trying to say we want to move on past this. We want to get to the point where we start seeing people. We we love everyone. We stop seeing people through the race colored glasses. But even in us saying it and saying colorblindness, critical race theory calls that out and says there's no such thing. And even in saying that, hey, we're all one race, all lives matter, that is insanely racist. 
because you're not paying attention to the house burning down on the street. That's a big one that you'll hear is, look, if every house, or if, if you're on a block and there's one house on fire, like, wouldn't you pay attention to that one more? Wouldn't you go after that one and try to save that one? And the point to which I'd say is, if you stop adding fuel to your own fire, maybe we can help. But if this, you're going to... It goes to our cancel culture point earlier of, it, it, this very much goes one direction, because you can say, I, I mean, if you, as a white person, say, I hate people of such and such race, you're in big trouble. And you know what? You should be. It's, you it's should. not okay. Right. How, I mean, it, it's just pretty well out there how often and how much stuff there is of I hate white people. White people suck. Oh, even white, you know, the people who buy into the CRT stuff, I'm a white person. I just, I, I can't stand my own people. And I, I mean, like, that is something that it's okay to say. And so when we talk about, like, who this is going to be a problem for as Christians, it's going to be the ones that are told to do that. The ones that are told to fight for the advocate, you know, for the advocacy of your own race. Shop at black-owned businesses. Be partial towards yourselves. Where, you know, the white Christians are told, do not do that. We've got to spread that message all around. And so as we, we get to it, as it affects the church. Uh, somebody told me a, a couple weeks ago, there's a, a preacher... Uh, and this guy writes in a, a Church of Christ publication, Publication this this preacher, very much on the white people need to stop being racist, and the church is just racked with racism, and all, all these things. He told his church, summer 2020, if you say all lives matter, you should not take the Lord's Supper. Wow. Until you repent and go apologize to your, your black Speaking brethren. Speaking of repenting. Yeah. I mean, like, let not what, many of you become uh, teachers. What have we done? Well, you know, and, and yeah. so the Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter thing, I think for a lot of people is just talking past each other. Because right. when you sit down, you're talking about, hey, it's the same thing, and, and we don't want anybody to be killed. Um, and and I, I see that where the differences are. I'm not saying they're the exact same thing, but I, I think ultimately everyone comes to the same place, and it's just a matter of prioritization and, and the way you're framing it. But the... Uh, as I said, there's the one side of it that's a trap. Oh, will you say Black Lives Matter? If you won't say Black Lives Matter, then you don't care. Like, so you're telling me that I mean I believe that they don't? I mean, come on. Like you, right. especially as Christians, we should be assuming the best of each other that we do think that Black Lives Matter. And to say all lives matter isn't to say that Black Lives don't matter. And so we've just had all of the the controversy that's come out of that, and it's dividing the church. That's again one of the fruits of it is that it's dividing the church. Now racism itself divided the church, and and I think you know for a long time the advice uh, was we need to be colorblind, colorblind Christians. I don't know that that's right. God did create the different races, the different ethnicities, the different nations. We've talked before about Paul in Romans nine saying I would die for my my Jewish brethren, my brethren of the flesh, um, and and I mean the the nationalities, the the identity that we have here on earth is real. And so there is, you know, and there's cultural things. There's just things that you understand, you know, from your geography, from your family, from your heritage that other people don't. Uh, you know, just some of the uh, black friends I, I've been around, some of their, their cultural things I didn't get for a while. They would talk about their, their aunt and their uncle, uncle so-and-so. I'm like, oh, that's your uncle? No, no, we just... It's an older guy. You know, uh, Willie Franklin, you know, a friend of Focus Press. Uncle Chocolate, everyone calls him. That's just a cultural thing where everybody's your aunt and uncle to a degree. You know, anybody older person you're close with. I didn't know that. Okay, well, they, they're going to have these cultural differences. And so when you say colorblind, you say, I don't think, you know, any of that exists. That's not true. We realize there's cultural differences. Colorblind is, in its best sense, I'm going to treat you the same way I'm going to treat right. anybody else. Right. And again, right. not having the sin of partiality. That's it. That's what we require of our churches because there's there's two ways that it can go. You can hate somebody because of the ways they're different than you, their skin color, their race, their nationality, whatever. Or you can prefer somebody because of that. 
So again, I'm not going to shake your hand because you're such and such color, or I'm going to shop at your business over that guy's business because of the color of your skin. Both of those are wrong. Right. If a Christian isn't participating in either of those things, they're not a racist. God tells us who a racist is, not Robin DiAngelo. I want to get Mm. to uh, such a great point, Jack. I want to get to this idea of a different gospel, and I think we're going to end with that and kind of what churches should do. But you really boil it down, and again, why we see this need for a discussion on critical race theories, because we we have to to determine, you know, where are we going to decide to join the fight, right? Of course, we understand racism's bad, slavery's bad, anybody who tries to stand up and say otherwise, you know, should be shouted down. But when you subscribe to every single one of these, again, tenets of critical race theory, and look at all the things that, that it believes and all the things that it promotes, so many of them are unbiblical. You think about their view of man, right? Their anthropology. You think about their their view of sin, right? Uh, Harmer theology. You think about their view of salvation. We talked. Joe brought up the, the, the there's no atonement, right? There, there's no way to atone for the for the sins of of the people that were you know generations before you. They have a, a, a twisted or perverted or an unbiblical view of the end of times. Their eschatology. All these things are to to sum it up is an attack on gospel sufficiency. We as Christians should believe the gospel is sufficient. The gospel is what we need. And what does the Bible tell us? Be kind to one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't have the sin of partiality. That's what we should be teaching. Those are the things that we should be teaching our young people. Those are the things that we should be educating everybody on. Not some some man-made ideology, not some man-made theory about with all these reparations and not, you know, all these things that Robin D'Angelo and all these other people are pushing forth, we need to be promoting the gospel. And the gospel is sufficient. Again, the gospel tells us to be kind to each other and to love our neighbor as ourselves. All these things, critical race theory at its core says that the gospel is not enough. You need all these other things in order to, again, repair, to make reparations for all the damage that, that white supremacy has done in the last several hundred years. The other thing is the, the, the power dynamic thing is always about somebody having the upper hand. And that's not a good thing. That's not a healthy thing that Christians should be for. And so slavery was, was you know, whites having the upper hand, and that was bad. And, and segregation was whites having the upper hand. And, and, and the bad things that, that came out of that, that's the upper hand. What we do is, is we forgive. We come back and say, hey, that, you know, and again, I didn't do that. You guys have not owned slaves. You guys have not kicked anybody out of a restaurant or anything like that. People in the past did. And we look back and go, yeah, that, that was not good that they did that. And so now we're at this place of, we can look back at that and, and mutually agree it's bad, and, and those that maybe suffered as part of that. I know you know black Christians who have, were subjected to that kind of stuff, where they can go, that wasn't right, but you know what? you didn't do that, so I'm not going to hold it against you, number one. Number two, we can move on and be on a level playing field. This idea that the answer to it is to go the other way, and you grab the upper hand, and you dictate the terms of this, and you, you know everything is going to go your way, that's not Christian at all. And, and, and it's, again, the weaponized compassion of your people have something to apologize for, so I'm going to hold that over your head indefinitely. God doesn't hold sin over our head. We don't get to hold sin over each other's head. And you think about the, uh, the, uh, the, two, uh, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant, right? Of you've been forgiven so much by God and you turn around and, and your brother's got something he owes against you. All right, buddy, you better pay up and I'm going to, you know. I'm going to throw you in jail for that it. Was, right. That was even just getting equal you know, right. much less like going back and above and beyond and, and all of these things that we're seeing. And so that's anti-gospel in itself is teaching people not to forgive 
teaching people to hold a grudge and, and teaching people to use that grudge as a stepladder to stand over their brother. There's also kind of a Calvinistic point of this of original sin, that it passes down generation to generation. Ezekiel 18 puts a stop to that and says the son, the, the son does not bear the sins of the father. Now, we know it visits the third and fourth generation, and that's kind of the, the um, consequences, I suppose, of the sin. But you know what? If your dad sinned, that doesn't mean that you that's are a not sinner. on your it means record. your dad sinned. Right. That's not on you. And I look at the, the sins of the men of the past. I also look at the greatness of the men of the past. And I can say they were sinners that did things that were that were wrong. There's a lot of historical context to those things as well. But they were they did things that were wrong. But you know what? It was white Christian males who put an end to slavery. And it was white Christian males who founded this country that we can even be a part of these days, that people can can live in the greatest country in the history of the world. We stand on their shoulders. Okay, we stand on their shoulders. And so for us to stand on their shoulders and look down and spit upon them and say, because of the sins, look, I look at them and I say, they were flawed men who did things wrong. But they were also amazing men at times who got some things right. Okay, we can look at those and, and see both. And the problem with this is, first off, there's the original sin type thing of racism continues to pass down. And second off, a person is either all bad or they are all good. There are men who have been racist in the past who needed to repent of the sin. They needed to get over that and, and, you know, do what's godly. That doesn't make them the worst person of all time. They had some good attributes and they had some really bad attributes and they struggled with the sin of racism the same way people struggle with the sin of greed or struggle with the sin of lust or whatever it is. Um, there's grace for that. There's forgiveness for that. And, you know, when we bring tweets up from 10 years ago and beat people into the ground and ruin their careers and say that they're the worst person of all time, where's the gospel in that? This is what I think is exciting for the church. We are now entering into a time where people are going to need grace and forgiveness more than ever. And guess who offers that? That is, that's, that's our business the gospel, of the church. Right, the gospel is Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's our business of the church, is looking at it. And all these people who have had their lives and careers wrecked because of one stupid moment where they did sin and they did do something that was not good, or maybe not one stupid moment, maybe multiple, there's grace and forgiveness for that. The other side doesn't offer that. They want to just shout you down and talk about what a horrible person you are, and basically you'll always be a horrible person because they're founded in Marxist ideology that has nothing, and, and basically by atheists. They don't understand God and his love and how God is willing to give even the worst of racist love, and that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Are we willing to give the worst of racist love to show them love? Jack, to your point with the man that, the black man that you know wins over the, uh, the people from KKK and some of those members— unbelievable man. I mean, the stories he tells is just incredible. He's patient with them. He's loving. And he truly wins them over by his by his love for them. He shows them that there's a better way. What an amazing example for us to follow as Christians. And for us to follow it, it's not for us to go above and beyond, as we talked about with partiality. It's for us to treat them with love and compassion the same way we would with any color of skin. That's what we're called to do as Christians. So, yeah, I, I think this is as anti-gospel as it gets. And it's not to say that racism isn't a thing. We're not trying to say racism is—there's no such thing as racism. There is. I think it cuts both ways, and I think it's wrong every single way it cuts. But there's grace for that. That's the point we're trying to say. And in critical race theory, there it's is It's not no the unforgivable sin is your point. Right, right. Well, I guess we, we kind of need to address before we finish. We've addressed it indirectly, but directly, the idea of systemic racism. Because, you know, people say, you're talking about individual racism and not systemic racism. I don't disagree that systemic racism can exist. Uh, I mean, Jim Crow is systemic racism. Uh, slavery itself, systemic racism. What I think we disagree on is 
its role in society today. And you know what? If, if you were going to persuade me of anything, it would be that there is systemic racism, and it's in this where you can discriminate and segregate from you know people that you don't like, and which direction does that go? When you've got a system where the answer is give me money, give me power, give me head starts, give, you know, as you said, the, we're going to grade on a scale, people advocating for counting our votes double. Yeah, that if we implement any of that, that would be systemic racism in the other direction. Show me where it's going in, in this direction. Because, again, you can you can cite the, the shooting statistics and everyone, when you start breaking those down, number one, there's just not that many. I think you guys have seen the statistics on, and they asked people in 2020, how many times a year do you think this happens? And I think the, the media answer was like a thousand times a year that the police, you know, shoot a black male. And it was like it was like 20. And I'm not saying that the 20 is okay, but of the 20, how many of them were justified? He was coming at them with a knife. He had a gun. He, he was going to threaten somebody else. Okay, and so they break it down. And like some of these aren't justified. But when you're talking about a country of 300 million people and maybe 12 people maybe got wrongly shot in a year, it's really hard to claim that that is a, a system that is just washed in racism and so i i think that would be our disagreement and not that systems can't be racist because it it's something a system becomes racist when racist people codify into the system itself how it's going to be racist it man you, you got a lot of work to do to prove that that's exactly what's going on in this direction and there's so much of it going the other direction that says you can segregate and discriminate against uh you know the other direction and once again i want to come back around to this i briefly mentioned this it's Jordan Peterson's majority privilege. There is a majority privilege at play in America. If you want to say that there's white privilege, it's the fact that there are the majority of us here. So when they talk about, you know, well, the overwhelming amount of whatever else the, of, you know, this job is represented by whites. Yes, it's because there are a lot of white people in America. That is naturally what you're going to see when there's a lot of Asian people in China, when there's a lot of Hispanic people in Mexico you're probably going to see a lot more Hispanic people represented in certain jobs in certain places because of the numbers. So is there privilege? Yes, it's majority privilege. But to say that, you know, having the nuclear home with with a father and a mother, you know, that this is part Which of is the... Which is the way God designed it, by the way. Right, and this is part of the privilege that we have. Is it my fault that, that you know, is it is a white person's fault that historically and, and, and statistically black fathers are not sticking around. That is not a white person's fault. That is something that, and this is what we get to is, can we call out our side for the whites for being racist in our own ways when it, when we see it? Absolutely. Can I call out their side and say this victimization, which is really what it is. And it's white liberals trying to make black people feel like they're constantly the victims. That's horrible from a, from a mental health point of view. It's really, really bad from an emotional point of view, from a spiritual point of view to say that, that, well, you're always going to be the victims I, I don't see how we get out of this power structure until we recognize we have to take responsibility on an individual level, and that's why they keep it systemic, is because they don't want individuals thinking about how to do to do better. They want the systemic because it's power. And that's what that's what we always have to go back to, and I know we beat this to death, but truly, everybody who's listening, critical race theory is about power and power alone. So don't fall into this trap and think that because of the systemic, there's no way around it. Let's let's get to to wrap up concretely, what should churches do? Several principles, again, concrete. I'll give um, I'll give two or three, and then I'll I'll pass it along. Number one, um, do your research, educate yourselves. Again, this is something that is so 
prevalent in society, and there's a lot of churches, a lot of, I guess I should say, authorities within churches that might look at this and say, we we don't need to touch this with a 10-foot pole. This is something that we should just avoid talking about. This is emotionally charged. Let's just, you know, well, well let's just preach the gospel, right? We talked about that before. That's kind of a, a, a fallback for people. This is something that is, that is worth talking about, hence why we had this podcast, podcast episode on it. So if you are uh, a, a leader in the church, before you can talk about it, you have to know what it's about. You have to do your research. You have to educate yourself. So that would be the first thing. And then the second thing that I would say, I already talked about it, and then I'll pass it along. We got to start preaching the sin of partiality. We have to make sure that we are teaching young, old alike. You can't look at people and, and treat them differently because of their wealth, because of their socioeconomic status, because of their race. It, it applies in all categories, white to black, black to white, white to Latino, whatever. That that has to start being emphasized, especially when these discussions come up. But guys, what do you have to add as far as concrete things of what churches should do before we wrap up? That's a really good question. Um, I think uh, this sounds so basic, but I think there needs to be a... I don't know. I Because I, you look at it and you say, well, there needs to be more classes or whatever else on this, or just more discussion in general. And on the one hand, I kind of agree. And on the other hand... I don't know. Like, there's there's a Morgan Freeman quote of how do you stop raising? You stop, stop talking, talking about, about it, it. Right. Yeah. you know. And there's a part of it that I kind of resonate with that of like, man, when we see everything through these. So I think what we the best thing churches can do is to get everybody to see things through gospel yep. color glasses, where we really start changing the worldview to look at it from a Christ perspective. Not that I'm white. It, it doesn't mean that it's a as Jack pointed out that I've erased my heritage or I've erased anything else. I can be proud of that the same way I think they can be proud of their heritage as well. There's no problem with that. I have no problem with a proud black person who's proud, a proud African American. Good for them, man. Don't make me racist for being a proud white American. We can both be proud, but I'll tell you what, I'm not going to put my pride above my Christian duty. I'm not going to treat mistreat you. And I think when we are looking at it from a gospel point of view, we're going to suffer with one another in love, right? Bear one another's burdens. We're going to be rejoicing and weeping with each other. We're going to have each other into our homes. We're going to make sure that you are treated as a brother or sister in Christ because Christ is is better than anything. Christ is what trumps all race. So that's what I would say is we have to get to the point where we are seeing things from a gospel, like changing our worldview to make sure that Christ's glasses are on before anything else. I would say for me, Number one, if if you're a preacher or minister and and you kind of got caught up in all this over the last few years, and and you said or implied at any point that your church members are racist and they are not, repent and go apologize to them. Set it straight. You know, I, I had a a guy that wanted to do a a seminar. He's like, I want to you know do it. Come out there to your church and do a thing on race. And it was like, I know my people. They're not racist. They all get along. Again, of different races. Uh, you know, we've we've had just the whole time I'm here. We don't have that issue here, okay? They might see things differently in the news. They might not process it the same, but, man, they do anything for each other. And so, you know, kind of going along with this and, and jumping on board as a Christian and kind of lecturing and browbeating your your white Christian members, it's not okay. The second thing that I would really, you know, I said this in a sermon yesterday, and I there's a million applications for this, but this is one of them. Tell your Christians as much as is possible to stop watching the news. As I pointed out, they can really get us angry and divided and, and all kinds of you know emotions flying around and, and people yelling at each other and, and taking different sides over things that we just don't know about. The whole story rarely comes out 
when it does, a lot of times the early reporting is wrong. Number two, the I, I mean, just they, they pick which things we're supposed to care about. I used this illustration yesterday in talking to my church about it. Ukraine and Russia, bad situation, but man, they talk about that all the time. That's not the only war going on in the world. Why is that the only one we're hearing about? You know, there's hundreds of thousands of people starving to death and, and dying of, of, of dehydration in Yemen uh, over a war that's going on over there. Nobody's putting the Yemen flag in their profile picture. Why? Because we care about what we're told to care about, okay? And so when when George Floyd gets killed, we're going to go out and protest and riot in the streets, and we're going to have sermons on it and all that. When Tony Timpa gets killed in the exact same way, nobody knows his name. When Daniel Shaver gets shot in a hotel in Arizona by a police, complying with every officer, the every uh, um, command the officer is giving him, just gets shot. When Duncan Lemp is shot through the window while he's in his sleep next to his pregnant girlfriend, nobody knows his these names. Why? Because you care about what you're told to care about. And so you say, oh, I'm standing up for the oppressed. I'm standing up. You're standing up for what you're told to stand up for, okay? These are people who are oppressed. These are people who are wrongly killed too. Nobody cares about them, okay? So you care about what you're told to care about. The opioid crisis. How many Americans, especially rural white Americans, that, that the, the uh, pharma execs were jokingly referring to as pillbillies when they were killing them in the hundreds of thousands... Those are oppressed people. Nobody's standing up for them. Nobody's putting a profile picture up for them. So you care about what you're told to care about and then pat yourself on the back for being a good guy. Turn the news off and care about the people around you, okay? And and if the black and white members of, of the local church and the Hispanic and, and Asian and, and whoever else is there all cared about each other and just spent time together and stopped telling, having the news tell them who to get mad at, we wouldn't have this kind of division in the church. It really ticks me off that we allow these things to get whipped up into a frenzy rather than saying, what does God tell me to do? God tells me to go love that person, hang out with them, talk to them, listen to them, and be cool with them. You know, that's it. And so teach your members to start turning the news off or take it with a gigantic grain of salt or else you're just going to... Because I, I guarantee you, it'll probably be in the next election year. It's going to happen again. There's going to be things shown in our, shoved in our face you know, uh, of shootings and, and riots and incidents and, and things to get mad over. People are going to take sides again. If we weren't paying attention to that stuff, if we, or even if you're taking it, paying attention, taking it with that grain of salt, you're not going to get divided over it the way that we have. And so... 2020 was not a coincidence, and it won't be again. No, 2016 wasn't. I mean, there, there's just, right. there's always, these things get marched out, and, and it's not a coincidence. And so you're, you care about what you're told to care about. And so that that's kind of an offshoot of the critical race theory thing. But as far as the division in the church, we got to be way more discerning about this stuff. And so, uh, yeah, that would be my thoughts on, on what the church can do. Um, Will, preach, why don't you go ahead and take us out of here? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say one last thing. Preach forgiveness for these things. Preach that it's wrong, but also preach forgiveness for these things. Let people know there is a way out Atonement of this. It's exists. not okay to be in it. Right. Atonement yeah. exists. Forgiveness exists. We offer that, and no one else in the world really offers that because it's the gospel. We stand on something much more powerful. Guys, I want to thank you all for the, the hard work that, that you put into this episode, the research. And, uh, again, like Joe said, we did push it back a week because we did not want to – we wanted to do this topic justice um, pardon the pun there, but, um, we really appreciate everybody, uh, listening, uh, as always, we do appreciate feedback, uh, social media, uh, Facebook email. We would encourage as always to, um, exude Christ-like attitudes when commenting and, and when, you know, posting on social media, when, uh, even, you know, we'll, we'll have commenters that will get in a back and forth with each other. Again, this is a typically pretty emotionally charged topic. 
feedback, discussion is encouraged, but let's reflect Christ in everything that we do, again, even when we're online. Uh, so, guys, unless you have anything else for the deep thinkers, we appreciate you listening. We will. Be- I, I meant to throw out resources real quickly yeah, yeah. Uh, because there's there's a lot of reading you can do on this. Um, one that uh, a couple of us uh, we might have all listened to was uh, an episode by the Just Thinking podcast. They did a three hour deep dive on it, and so very good. And again, if you're bothered by white guys talking about it, it was two black guys talking about it. And so uh, there's that one. Shenvi Apologetics. S H E N V I. He's done. I mean, tremendous amounts of work, book reviews on Robin DiAngelo and Kendi and, and the history of CRT. It's all digestible, bite-sized stuff. So Shenvi Apologetics and then Fault Lines by Vody Bauckham is another is a book uh, that I would recommend. So there's three resources if you really want to dig deeper on this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Jack. So guys, again, unless we have anything else to add, we will be back next week with another episode of Think Deeper. Think Deeper.